So, conversation we're having with the athletes today, church, we're glad that you're here and we're delighted to welcome the athletic retreat into the sanctuary today. They meet every, every year at the beginning of the school year. Usually they're somewhere else, but this year they're right, you see all the white shirts, they're right here. So welcome, Golden Eagles. All of you, we're so, we're delighted that we brought this inside the sanctuary. Uh, later this afternoon, they'll be eating lunch here, doing community service projects right here. So that's a big part of the weekend. And Bob Schindler, you are the guest for the athletes this weekend. Your wife, Beth, is at the Carolinas somewhere? Sweet, sweet tea country? That's right, you got that right. Sweet tea. Sweet tea. Where we say yes ma'am and yes sir. Yes ma'am. <laughs> This is Bob. Bob. Bob's actually authored a book. We're going to give this book away at the end of church today. A hundred copies. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. We know you as Rob, but Dr. Rob Thomas in the health education department, you've been following this conversation with Bob for a long time. Yes, and I'm really excited that he's here. Yeah, so please have this conversation for us. Thank you, Pastor Chris. So I am really excited to have Bob Schindler here to help us look at how we view sports, but also, more importantly, how we engage in it as athletes, as parents of eight-year-olds, as spectators at the university or at the academy or the church between two campuses, and certainly then as difference makers here in the 92505. And I'm, I'm so excited that Bob is here. I got to meet him probably the first time about three or four years ago at a webinar, and he was one of the featured people, and I was an attendee, and we got a chance to talk afterwards. We've had phone conversations. Um, I got to engage with him again at Reach Gathering, which looks at uh, sports ministry. Um, and then he wrote and read his book, said, hey, this is awesome. So Bob, I'm just so excited that you're here. Can you talk to us um, about how you've gone on your journey in life? That'd be an honor, but first of all, I just wanna thank La Sierra University Church and La Sierra University, you guys have been so gracious. It's such an honor. Gosh, it's a real honor to be here to worship with you all today. So thanks. Um, a little bit about my background. I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. I did not grow up in a, a home of faith, did not go to church as a child. I uh, really never met anybody that ever told me they were a Christian until I was 22 years old, my senior year of college. And uh, that person told me that there was a God that loved me with the kind of love that we sang about this morning. And that he wanted me to be a part of the plan that he had for this world. And uh, that he wanted that so deeply, he was willing to do anything to overcome the barriers to that relationship and uh, including sending his son, Jesus Christ, to come and die, to make me a part of that plan. That was the best news I ever heard. And uh, I decided to become a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're older like me, you know this movie called Chariots of Fire, right? How many of you have ever, have ever seen Chariots of Fire? Notice none of the young people have ever seen that movie. <laughs> it, it actually won the best picture, and I think it was 1982, and it's a story about a man by the name of Eric Little. And Eric was a gold medalist in the 1924 Olympics uh, from Scotland, and he also was a missionary to China. And the movie is about his journey through those Olympics and also then to that mission field. And his sister 
questioned his running. And there's a famous line in the movie that says, as he explains to his sister why he runs, he says, sis, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And so since that time, uh, when I was 22, I've spent the rest of my life now just doing things that I sense the pleasure of God in doing. And that took me into chemical uh, sales as a, a chemical engineer. Then I actually played professional golf for four years. Out of that, I began to wrestle with pursuing the ministry as a vocation. I went back into business, into the computer business, where I did corporate training and, and uh, system design. And then I actually spent 18 years in the pastoral ministry as an associate pastor and then also as a senior pastor. And in the last 16 years, I've been working in the sports ministry movement, primarily helping churches like La Sierra figure out how to use the tool of sports. And that's how I met Rob. So that's a little of my story. Yes, thank you, Bob, for giving us a, um, a bit of your story. And as we look at sport and Christianity, one of the things that always comes up is the term competition. Can you talk about how that came about and how that informs our conversation? Sure. Competition is all around us, isn't it? It's not just on the athletic field. It's in the political realm. It's in the business realm. It's in the realm of ideas. Really, we could almost say competition is built into the fabric of our society. If we just think about discussing, even this morning, this competition of ideas, if we understand that the original definition of competition comes from the Latin word competire, which means calm together, patire, strive. We transliterate that word into compete as the verb and then competition as the noun. And so in the minds of the, the linguists of the days when they were describing those games back in the original Olympiad, they used that word competire, striving together. And so we in the world today, though, often think of competition not as striving together, but striving against. And that's not just a mere semantical distinction, because just think about it for a moment. If you're striving together against your opponent, your opponent is someone that you appreciate for being there. If you don't have an opponent, you don't have a game. But if you're striving against your opponent, then you want to, in fact, destroy or beat down or eliminate or obliterate your opponent. Those warfare metaphors are used all the time in the world of sports today. So this idea of competition from the original idea was striving together, but we've morphed it deeply into the striving against. Yes, and that, that um, is what our society experiences now. I see it every you know, day on ESPN. So as Christians though, how, uh, one of the terms that's been talked about um, is redeeming sports. So we've, we've alluded to the why perhaps, but can you talk a little bit about the why and then the how we can redeem sports? Sure, thanks Rob. And the idea of redeem is to buy back something that's been lost. That's what the word really means. And so when we think about redeeming sports, we, okay, what is that, just to use that idea, we're buying back something of sports that has been lost with an effort to restore it to its original design. And so why we want to do that is because we value the original design of something. 
You restore something as you redeem it it's because you value what it was originally designed to be. In sports, that looks like understanding both the original design of sports and competition in the mind of God, the way the, the fall corrupted sports and competition just like it corrupted the whole world. And then in this redemption that Jesus Christ is bringing about, extending that redemption into the world of sports and competition just as it goes into the world of industry or in medicine or literature or art or whatever that realm would be. And so the why is because that's what God is about doing today. God is about reversing the corruption of the fall through the redemption of his son, Jesus. And so why athletes ought to be concerned about or why coaches ought to be concerned about about why parents of athletes ought to be concerned about that is because that's what Christ is up to. And so how you go about doing that obviously would be, first of all, grasping a real clear picture of that original design. And this is where I find most athletes and coaches and parents don't don't get it. They think if we point to the sky or if we pray after we score a touchdown that that's redeeming sports. But I would say it goes much farther back than that. And my challenge to most two people is if you can't find competition in the first two chapters of Genesis, then that means competition is a part of the fall. And that means we ought to be getting rid of athletics and sports instead of encouraging athletes like this out there to be involved in it. And so I think it's there. I think it's very clearly there. And when you see that original design, then it's like, okay, now I understand what I'm trying to go back to. But without that picture of the original idea of competition, it's like standing before a pile of metal. Let's imagine I took all of you and put just a pile, you before a pile of metal and said, okay, now restore that pile of metal to a 57 Chevy. Now, none of you have ever seen a 57 Chevy, but you just start going about putting nuts and bolts together. And then I come along, the inventor of the 57 Chevy and say, what are you doing? And they say, well, we're putting together a 57 Chevy. And because I'm the inventor, I say, that's not a 57 Chevy. Well, we didn't know any better. We just thought if we pointed to the sky and prayed before we did something that it would turn out okay. And then I pull out a picture of a 57 Chevy. This is what you're trying to be restored. Oh, now I understand. And so that's how important this, this picture of that original design is. That's how you go about doing it. Thank you. So I'm hearing you say that, that all aspects of life are relational, that we relate with God and relate with other people. And so Christians, sports played by Christians is uh, not like the culture. It's counter-cultural. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I'd like to change gears just a little bit and look at gifts. So in our church family, we have all kinds of gifts. We're really blessed with artists and musicians and scientists and scholars and writers and um, actors, all kinds of things, and athletes. Um, in the Adventist church, we don't always um, acknowledge the gift of athletics like we do some of these other gifts. So how can you talk to us about maybe better recognizing God's gifts for athletes? This is something very close to my heart as a former athlete. Um, But I told these young people last night as we were talking about does God care wins, my thought is that God created each of them in a very unique way to fulfill a destiny of reflecting him or in the realm of sports in which they play. Yes. Uh, Their destiny is just as important 
as an artist, as a musician, as a school teacher, as a businessman, as a doctor, if that's their destiny. And just as those other realms have to learn how to steward that gift that they've given, so do athletes. And as a church community, I think it's our responsibility to help them understand what does it look like to steward those gifts. And to do that, we've got to recognize, I think, the different culture, the different atmosphere that these athletes are playing in than those who are playing 20 to 30 or 40 years ago. Yes. Yes. It's a very different world out there. You have 75% of all athletes, young athletes, quit organized sports by the time they're 13 in the United States. And the number one reason they quit is because it's no fun. It's become too competitive. And it's not because of the coaches more than anything, it's because of the parents. Yes. And so these young people today are facing pressures that I as an athlete never faced. Javier as an athlete didn't face back in the days that he played where there's this intense pressure to win at all costs and to sacrifice everything for that winning. And so today athletes are tempted more than ever before for their identity to be tied to sports. And we as a church have to help them understand that their identity is rooted in Christ. It's not in the athletic performance that they do on the field or on the court. And so that's a very significant aspect of our role. But at the same time, we need to recognize the gifts that have been given them and encourage them into that. Yes. Just as we would any other of the gifts that God gives out to the various members of his body. So that's a very important aspect in my mind of helping them understand how to steward those gifts. Thank you, Bob. So we'd like to look at one way that we can foster um, gifts in sport. And let's take a look at a video clip looking at our Golden Eaglets, formerly known as Adventist Ball League. we strive to enrich our community through youth and adult programming aimed at building skills which will lead to a lifetime of physical activity and overall wellness. La Sierra University offers a variety of recreational and competitive activities for all ages via one-day clinics, week-long camps, weekend tournaments, and monthly leagues. We also host elite camps in hopes of recruiting competitive student-athletes who work hard both in the classroom and in their respective sport. Currently, we offer the highest quality instruction from our university coaches in baseball, basketball, soccer, softball, and volleyball. We hope to offer adult leagues, racket sports such as tennis and badminton, as well as swimming and an all-sports camp, which will include flag football in the near future. Well, I really like uh, getting the opportunity to get out on the field with the kids, uh, get some sunlight. Uh, just seeing the kids have fun, seeing them grow week to week, you can tell the improvement as the weeks go on. So it's kind of kind of fun, kind of exciting to to you know, ref stuff like that. I appreciate just the camaraderie that we all have. We know everybody, we know all the kiddos. Uh, a lot of them go to the same school, same church, so it's nice to just come out on Sunday and, uh, and be together. No matter your gender, age, or athletic ability, La Sierra University's community and youth programming has something for you. We strive to create a positive, inclusive, engaging, and fun learning experience. We look forward to meeting you.
So those are some things that we've already begun here in our community. Uh, Bob has been in charge, uh, has led an organization, though I'd like to hear more about, Seed Sports. So how can that help us here in the 92505 serve our community better? So I herald what La Sierra University is doing to try to redeem that idol of sports through the, uh, the efforts that you're doing with those young people. Our mission as an organization is to redeem that idol of sports and those who play them and are involved in them by leading a global movement of gospel-centered sports ministries and local churches. So we love to see not only universities, but also local churches pick up the tool of sports and use it as an extension into the community to build relationships and then also to, to bring Christ into the midst of those sports, therefore helping them to understand the integration of sports and Christianity. And so the, the, we are about that as a organization, helping a local church doing that very thing, not only in this county, this city and state, but around the world as well. So that, that's what we love to do. That's what we are excited about doing. And if you know it, it's a relatively new movement. This is not a thousand year movement. It's not a hundred year movement. It's not even a 50 year movement. Local churches have only begun doing this really in about the last 30 years. And so that's not only here, but also around the world. So it's a, it's a move of the spirit of God that we think is very clearly out of this desire for, for that spirit to redeem those people and that realm of sports that we've already talked about. Mm. Thank you, Bob. There's a resource that's on the website that talks about blogs, books, websites, organizations like SeedSport that you're welcome to access uh, later today or the, in the next uh, few weeks. Uh, Bob, thank you so much for helping us examine this topic and to explore it a little bit today. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for being here. So thank you, uh, Coach Rob. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Coach Javier, Lassier University, for bringing us this tiny little topic of Christians in sports. Isn't that great? Christians in sports, Christians investing their energy and their time in competing and playing and training and traveling, Christians investing their energy in winning. I mean, we do need to win if we're gonna keep playing. Christians investing their resources in bringing home prizes and medals and cheer and leagues and all, and hot dogs. And she eat a lot of hot dogs at these, do you? No, they don't, you did. Not now, not now. Now we eat um, Buddha bowls, Buddha feast. Thanks for this tiny little topic, Christians and sports, right? This is something we're thinking about together as a congregation today. Can we really do this? Because in the end, if we don't win, what are we doing? So can Christians really compete and can Christians really dominate? And how far can we go? See, we, in my experience watching and with our own children and in my own life, we support this in the beginning. We enroll our children. We put our children in little leagues and we put them in swimming lessons and tennis lessons and, and uh, hey, we know our children are inactive and we know there's this toxicity, the screen and screen time. American Academy of Pediatrics has been on this for 25 years, our inactive children. So we enroll them in the soccer league and we get them going and, and then they get kind of good and, and, and in junior high and high school, we put them on sports teams. Here's a little clip from one of our sports teams this week at a school very close next door. Junior high girls 
Varsity. Are you here, junior high girls? Oh, they're hiding in the back. Are you here? They're hiding back here. It started this way, didn't it, Golden Eagle athletes? Didn't it start like that? They're chanting, LSA, LSA, we are the Knights. A little bit louder, I still can't hear you. We're number one, go Knights, something like that. And then at some point we get cautious. Can we really chant our way around the world? It's a question. Can we really teach our children to run around the world saying we're number one, go? Can Christians really dominate? Listen, on a field just a few years back, two tiny little ones playing t-ball, I remember very carefully this one wants to hit this one. When they tumble and fall over the ball, he starts hitting, I pull them apart, and he, I say we don't hit. And he says, I just want to hit her a little bit. (laughs) We don't hit a little bit. Can I kick? Can I kick? I just want to kick her a little bit. Can we dominate a little bit? Followers of Jesus, I'm going to ask the question much differently. Can disciples of Jesus commit to a life of dominating? Here's a picture of our Adventist Ball League, oh, I don't know, probably 17 or 18 years ago. These are referees and umpires and the leader of the league here and with his back to us, Geraldo Salcedo, and I'm listening in intent. Don't I look so pastoral there? Listening so sweetly. Guess what we're arguing? We are having a conversation about a ridiculous rule in the rule book, an outfield fly ball, and, and parents are arguing and children are crying. The only time I've ever had to kick parents out of anything Adventist Ball League. <laughs> and you know who you are. Can we? So when we don't know what to do, we back out. In 1988, 1988, count back that 30 plus years ago, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the parent denomination said to us, we shall not play sports, inter-school sports, because we realized competition and domination were a problem. And when we don't know how to baptize sports, we ban them. Now drop a pin in that. A word from our teacher Jesus. If we're not turning to Jesus regularly, then he's not our teacher, by the way. Here's a word from Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. He's sitting, it's just 24 hours. Soon, he'll be arrested and in Pilate's courts and in front of Herod. He's trying to tell his students, the disciples, how badly this is going to go. It's a calm night until the Bible says a dispute arose among the disciples. An argument broke out among the disciples over which one of them would be the greatest. This is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, if you want to follow along. They're bickering, an argument. It's an interesting word in the original language, which none of us read. They're arguing, they're bickering. According to this world, only time this word is used in our Bible in the New Testament. They're challenging each other with enthusiasm. They're eagerly competing. They're arguing about who's greater. This is a story we teach our children when they are young, and this is a story we repeat often in church. 
Who will be the greatest? It's a fairly sophisticated argument. The disciples have already figured out that Jesus must be pretty high and God's probably higher. And one of them is a pretty bad guy, Judas, because they don't know yet which one, but Jesus just said, one of you will betray me. In the original language, actually, which one will be greatest? In the original language, it isn't greatest, it's greater, greater. Who should be greater? And this is confusing to us. Nevertheless, it's confusing, I think, today because this great, greater, greatest, can we move all the way to the top? It's not actually the argument this day. A dispute arose among them as to who would be greater. Jesus answered them, your argument doesn't make any sense by the way, your question's irrelevant. You're talking like people talk in any club or pack in the world, but I have a different thing to say to you, verse 25. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles rule over their subjects, and those in authority over them are called friends of the people. But that's not the way it will be with you. Instead, the greater among you must become like a person of lower status, more like a leader, like a servant. So which one is greater, the one who is seated at the table or the one who serves at the table? Jesus poses a hypothetical question. Isn't it usually we think the one seated being served dinner? Jesus says, well, I'm among you as one serving you, not being seated. Jesus answers his own question. No, the greater one is the serving one. The greater one is is what I've been showing you. Now tribe, now students, now disciples, there is a new way you'll conduct yourself in this world. There's a code of conduct. They've been with Jesus for three years. We have 20 chapters of examples in Luke's gospel of what this shall look like. The last shall be first. The child shall be elevated. Give, not until you think you've been generous enough, but a little bit more. Don't return hate with hate, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. We've heard this again and again, the disciples would have heard this again and again with Jesus. You will not be like other people, your question's irrelevant, Jesus says to them. But they can't quite get it out of their system, their instinct is to wanna be greater. Somebody here relates. You and I, Rob, relate. When I was in ninth grade, they made me play one-on-one with a girl who was five foot 11. Because when you're from a tiny school, this is how it's done. When you're from a tiny school, if you're athletic at all, you're athletic for everything. I could play basketball, I could play volleyball, I could play soccer, and the coaches came and said, you're gonna be on the football team. I don't like football, but you're gonna be on the team because we need you. You don't really need me. I'm gonna get squashed out there. All right, we're gonna put you on the one-on-one competition at the end of the year, the big, health, the big sports rally. Oh, by the way, here's your competitor. She's like as tall as the ceiling. And she's got these beautiful long legs and she has to be beautiful too. Somebody here relates. You wanna be greater. So this is a favorite older video, 2009. This is Federer after a win, a Grand Slam win that was important in 2009. Listen for what comes out of John McEnroe's mouth in the middle of this little one minute commercial. Seven years, you let me have this record. That's pretty cool. It's tough to swallow. It makes me wanna cry. Tell me what I got. Mm, not bad. 
Congratulations, man. Congrats! This is your number. Thanks a lot for making us look so average. Congratulations, Roger. You did it. All right, you're keeping track. You know that's a long time ago. Thanks for making us look so average is the line I love in this video. Yes, because we look left and we look right and we do it in all these areas in our life. We wanna be greater actually. This instinct, I am interested that Jesus does not squash the instinct in his disciples to be great. He simply redefines it. You will not be like the people of this world. The power that I'm giving you now, the world will call it weak. I am telling you it's supernaturally strong. Jesus doesn't squash their instinct to be great in this story. He asks them to try a different kind of competition, Bob. Try a cooperative kind of competition. Try the kind of co cooperation that was in Genesis 1 and 2. That's not dominion, that's not domination, it was dominion. It wasn't power over, it was power with in the beginning of our story. Jesus asks us to embody that kind of power. So it turns out uh, that Jesus knows we have this problem. We're gonna look to the left and look to the right and we're gonna desire more. And Jesus wants to shape that more. Our history is that if we can't baptize something, we ban it. You can think about that because we've done it with a lot of issues. That's our history and then one day, the big parent denomination, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, looked around and said, um, it seems like lots of you are playing sports now. We see you playing sports. So you're kind of ignoring our ban. Is that what's happening out here? Oh. That's kind of what happened. And so a couple years ago in North America, they came up with another idea. We see you're gonna be playing sports. If you're going to be playing sports, could we suggest get a plan, have a better way, make sure it doesn't look like ESPN culture? Yes, figure out how to do this the way Jesus would have us do this. La Sierra, La Sierra Academy was at the beginning of this conversation a long time ago. I understand we are one of the only schools that actually walked across the street to our supervisors at the big building and said, we're gonna play competitive sports, could we please have permission? And we're gonna do it anyway. So could we have this conversation? So we have people like Randy Norton from the Academy, we have names like Walter Hammerslaw, we have Vernon Shuffle, we have you Coach Roger, we have you Rob, we have a history around here of Jesus following people, walking in the front door and saying, we would like to do this differently. We think it's possible. It is interesting to me, church, that we seem to be okay with cooperative com competition in many ways. Just look at the university website. Right now on our university website, this is what we're celebrating. We're celebrating that our university was named second for diversity in the nation. This is by the Wall Street Journal. They choose us second in the nation for diversity among ethnicities and race and socioeconomical status, and that's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful.
We're celebrating STEM scholarships. This is for science and technology and electron engineering and math, right? That five of our students in math and computer science received scholarships this year. In the last few years, it's been $90,000 our young scientists have received from the Edison Company. And their professor says, this is lovely because it means these students can focus more on their studies and this will encourage them to pursue their dreams. We know how to celebrate this kind of success. Also on the website, biologist Dr. Lee Grismere. Now, this, these pictures, this is from Israel this summer. These are students, Leilani and Amanda and Dr. Lee on the left there. They're in Israel this summer. Look what they're chasing. Next slide, this is what they're chasing. It's gonna get better before it gets worse. This is Leilani holding one of these little geckos up close. Turns out they're presenting at a pretty prestigious conference in Tel Aviv. Turns out that these two young scientists, everyone thinks that they're graduate students because of the mastery they have over their subject, herpetology. Oh, here she is two years ago in Malaysia. She catches this monster of a gecko. That to me looks like it belonged in the Garden of Eden at the tree of where the Satan the serpent is. Like it looks like an offspring. This gecko, this particular species, hasn't been seen for 100 years. And here's a young scientist from our university finding one and writing about it. Not beautiful? We know how to celebrate this kind of success. We know how to celebrate the success when it looks like this. A young guy raised in the community, is it possible you can get the presidential scholarship and go to the New England Conservatory? Yes, Anthony Leone, you can, right? Now, why didn't we take this kid when he was in elementary school and say, you can sing in the neighborhoods at Christmas time and you can do community sing-alongs. Oh, okay, you could be in the choir at the high school. Maybe you can be in the chamber singers at the university, those more well-trained professional voices. You could do all of that, but please don't get so good that we have to send you to the New England Conservatory, Anthony. Like, we just can't do that. No. We can support this talent, this God-given talent. We seem to be able to do it in many areas. I don't think it's a yes or no. We can play sports or we can't play sports. We either ban them or we feel, no, we, there are third and fourth and fifth ways around these conversations. There's not only one way to do this. Sit on the sideline or just play with your family at Thanksgiving. What are we supposed to say to these 150 athletes sitting here with incredibly talented bodies? Around here we say, you don't have a body, we are a body. My mind and my heart and my soul and my thinking and my body, we are, what shall we say? Because once in a while we put our kids in little athletic programs and some of them actually do have incredible talent and one, once in a while they break through and some of them do go on to enter this big world that God so loves. Can we celebrate that? Jesus didn't say, be ye therefore not of this world. Jesus said, read John 17, I am leaving this world and you will be here. Be in this world and have an allegiance to something else. This is the third and fourth and fifth way. Yes, we can be in this world. Retreating isn't an option. 
So it is that Bob Schindler suggests we think about what the alternative ways look like, that yes, we redeem competition, that yes, we think carefully about how competition takes us to dark spaces in our lives, that yes, we learn how to strive together. The Bible is nothing if not a long record of what competition has done to us. But I notice every time we open up this conversation, church, we should tell the truth. Every time we talk to a young athletes, does God care about your sport? Does God care about your body? Does God care if you win the title of Bob's book that we'll be giving away? Whenever we open these conversations, we're having God conversations. We're talking about what, who God is and how God interacts in our world, whether it's climate change yesterday in our nation, when we open these conversations, we're actually opening the larger questions. Who is God and how is God involved in this in our world? How we answer the questions will reflect who we think God is and who we think we are. When the athletes gathered last night and they began to wrestle with some of these questions out loud, it was very beautiful to watch HMA, Whole Memorial, come alive with interaction with the young athletes. And our answers to these questions betray either what we've been taught by our parents or our churches or what we're working on right now. We have to operate very carefully when we reach for the Bible to quote passages because the Bible doesn't say a lot of things. We also have to operate very carefully because the same prosperity gospel that's permeated evangelical Christianity in America, that, eat, that, that prosperity gospel that says God blesses us with wealth, which is the growing strain of evangelicalism that also permeates conversations with athletes, that God will reward faithful athletes, that somehow if we're having success, it's because we were faithful, and that God will bless us when we're faithful. We have to be careful with that gospel because it's not biblical, and it's dangerous. It leads us to believe that every failure is because we didn't try hard enough or every failure is because God's teaching us a lesson. This is Robin Meyer. Selling Jesus as an investment strategy is a sin. I'm just gonna pause. Selling Jesus as an investment strategy is a sin. Anyone claiming to be a Christian who doesn't practice simplicity and generosity is engaged in self-deception. So we are careful because one day devastating news will come to me or my family. One day I will try to understand what it means and I will imagine either I didn't try hard enough or God is trying to teach me a lesson. But friends, we don't rule our lives by guilt, but by grace. This is not guilt, this is grace. So be careful as we're answering our questions. Our lives are governed by grace. So there was an athlete last night. Alex, where are you? You stood up at a moment. Go ahead, we're gonna put a microphone in your hand. You stood up at a moment and said to your colleagues last night something. Would you tell us? Go ahead. One minute. I'm a sophomore and I'm a very proud Golden Eagle. Just kind of put that out there. Um, so the question that we have to be, the question that we were given this, uh, this weekend, right, for our retreat was, um, 
does God care who wins? Okay, and I think that, in my opinion, that's a very simple answer. So I asked this question last night, I'm gonna do it again. There's a lot more people, so I feel like we should have an even better turnout, for my opinion. So uh, raise your hand if you like losing. Oh, back there, she's lying. Um, okay, so here's my next question, my follow-up. Raise your hand if you think losing makes you better at winning. Right? Yeah, a lot of us, okay. So what I talked about last night was my college word, if you remember it, was sanctification. Learn that in class this year. Sanctification is the journey that you take in order to try to be perfect just as Jesus Christ was. So if the question is, does God care who wins? Does God not care about the way that, let's say you fail a math test, right? You fail a math test and you get better the next time you take it. That's a part of your journey. Does not God care if he puts you in a relationship, maybe not to make it to the end of your life with that person, but to teach you more about yourself and about everything you have to learn about within your walk with Christ, right? God definitely cares whether or not you win or lose. Now, if you win or you lose, you're gonna learn from both of those. But if he's got a lesson to teach you, the lesson's gonna come from one or the other. You have to be able to learn, be able to like dig within yourself and understand who you are based on your wins and losses. It's not that God gave you all the gifts that you're given for everybody here to just go out and beat the brakes off of everybody. No, you have to be able to understand what you've been given and also understand that regardless of the circumstance, if you lose, regroup, pick it back up and keep going. Thank That's you. exactly how God works. Thank so. you. So this big word, go, thank you. Do you sense we could leave the microphone with him and he'd give us a little more sermon? Like I sense that we could get more from you, Alex. He said last night, I'm gonna say a word, it's a college word, sanctification. Yes, actually he's talking about what Bob is talking about and what Javier and all the coaches are talking about. The question is how much of our lives shall we open up to the divine? Shall we give them all of our lives? Shall we let them into all of our conversations and all of our practices and all of our games and all of our relationships and all of our doings in the world? Bob directs us to Psalm 96, which is on the same topic that Alex brought up. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless the Lord's name. Share the news of his saving work every single day. Declare God's glory among the nations. Declare his wondrous works among the people because the Lord is great and worthy of praise. He's awesome. He's awesome beyond all the gods this world would deceive us with. There's one God that's awesome. Psalm 96 reminds us. You're gonna have to sing a brand new song because this world wants you to sing the old tracks. You're gonna have to sing a brand new song, not just a new tune, new lyrics for a new age. You're gonna to have to sing a song that tells us we don't have to be restless warriors in this world. We can be calm because there is one God who reigns over all. Sanctification. This is work of maturity, work of a lifetime. We don't have to ban sports, we can build options, as long as we will all confess and agree, the Lord 
reigns. Amen.